confusion about the Apostle Paul and his ministry causes error throughout churches today. The result is a mixing of Israel's prophetic kingdom program and the Body of Christ's secret grace program, and thus destroying both. We need to ask ourselves, why Paul? The answer will clear up the confusion and allow for effective Bible study that allows us to understand what God is doing today in the dispensation of grace. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge that many of the thoughts in this Differing Things podcast come from Richard Jordan, the president of Grace School of the Bible. Although he does not understand the salvation of all, Brother Rick has a firm grasp of Paul's distinct message and apostleship. In regard to this, he has taught me very much. There is a lingering question. The Church of Jesus Christ never, ever seems to address. One that provides the antidote for all the confusion in Christendom today. It is really a truly simple question. Why Paul? Why did the Lord make him the Apostle Paul? The scriptural answer to this question is actually very simple to find. It is given to us in one verse, Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. We read there, but to you Gentiles, I say that since I am apostle to the Gentiles, I am glorifying my service. I want you to notice that Paul says, I am glorifying my service. Clearly, Paul was not exalting himself. He is magnifying his God-given office as the apostle of the Gentiles, and the service being performed in that office. So far from glorifying Paul, to speak about and glorify the fact that he is God's chosen apostle for today, is to make much of that which God himself glorifies, the office that Jesus Christ gave to Paul and the ministry and message that Paul gives to the body of Christ, all being done by Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul. Think for a moment. The scriptures repeatedly refer to the law of Moses. But who would question that it is, in reality, the law of God. Moses was simply the individual through whom the law was given to Israel. Thus, Moses boldly declares in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, 
neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Was this self-pompous, self-adulation on Moses' part? Would Israel be following man rather than God when they obeyed Moses? Could it be that our Lord was exalting Moses above himself when he commanded the leper to offer in Mark 144 those things which Moses commanded? Of course not. None of this is exalting the person Moses. Rather, it is a recognition of his God-given office and position as the lawgiver to Israel, the instrument through whom Yahweh revealed his law to them. In like manner, Paul is the one through whom the Lord Jesus has made known the truth of the secret. For us to recognize his special office no more exalts Paul over Christ than Israel's honoring of Moses' position exalted Moses over Yahweh. Paul's epistles clearly set forth his position as the grace giver for the present dispensation. For example, we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, the following. Because of this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, the Gentiles, since you surely hear of the dispensation of grace of God, which has been given to me for you, for by an unveiling the secret is made known to me, according as I write before in brief. It was by direct personal revelation from Christ himself that Paul was given a new revelation about God's secret purpose in the dispensation of grace. Accordingly, he writes about the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. To recognize the special place committed to the Apostle Paul in the program of God is not to exalt the person of Paul. It is simply to honor his God-given position as our apostle. During our Lord and Savior's earthly ministry, neither Jesus nor his 12 apostles ministered to the Gentiles as such. Rather, Jesus Christ came to minister to the nation of Israel. Romans 15.8 is truly clear on this point. This is a verse that can revolutionize your understanding of God's word. It states, Now I say 
that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises to the fathers. Considering this simple declaration, one which only unbelief would argue, we can confidently know something. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel exclusively. He confirmed to Israel that the promises made to their patriarchs were true. He proclaimed the good news that the promises were soon to be fulfilled. When I point out from a verse like Romans 15.8 that Jesus Christ's earthly ministry was exclusively to Israel, somewhere, I guarantee it, someone will rise in objection by quoting the world and whosoever from a verse like John 3.16. This is somehow supposed to prove that his earthly ministry had the world, not just Israel, in view. Unfortunately, those who do so somehow ignore numerous other verses. Verses like Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Jesus sent these 12 apostolizing them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not go into a Samaritan city, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why would Christ say, God so loved the world, and yet forbid his apostles from going to the world? What is going on? And there is more. Let's consider for a moment the account in Matthew chapter 15. We read in verses 22 and 23 the following. Here a Canaanitish woman of the district came out and persistently cried out, Yahweh, son of David, pity me. My daughter is cruelly harassed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And coming near, his disciples asked him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. According to the popular view, Christ should have rushed right over to this young girl and immediately helped her. But read on. In verse 23, we read, He did not answer her a word. Did you think the Lord would do this to someone in such obvious need? And when his disciples interceded on her behalf, we have his plain words in verse 24. But answering, he said, I was not apostolized except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let me repeat that last line. Except to the lost sheep of of the house of Israel. When we compare this verse with John 3.16, it is not hard to get confused. Did not Christ love this lady and her daughter? Surely he did. Then what 
is going on. Unless we recognize exactly what the program of God was at the time, we will never find the answer. You see, at that point, the program was not a wholesale going out to the nations. The program, in effect, then was based on the promises made to Abraham and developed by the prophets. The Old Testament abounds with promises and prophecies that salvation would go to the ends of the earth through a redeemed Israel. Examples of this would be in Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, and Zechariah chapter 8, verse 13 and 20 through 23. And there's many other verses. Consequently, our Lord confined his earthly ministry solely to the nation of Israel. This is why the Apostle Paul states in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we know no man after the flesh. And yes, we knew Christ after the flesh at one time, but henceforth we know him no more. They were the chosen and prophesied channel a blessing to the nations. God indeed loved the whole world, and a specific promise was that salvation was to go to the world through the rise of Israel. Reading on in Matthew chapter 15, we discover the woman finally received the healing she sought for her daughter. It is important to see on what basis this blessing was bestowed. We read in verses 25 and 26 the following. But coming, she bowed down to him, saying, Yahweh, help me. Jesus said to her, It is not proper to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs. Wow, Jesus is calling her a dog. Mark 7.27 amplifies this very statement of the Lord by adding these words. First, allow the children to be satisfied. The ministry was first to Israel. They must first be satisfied with God's blessings, and then, through a redeemed and satisfied Israel, salvation would go to the Gentiles. This woman's answer reflected her understanding of where she stood. Matthew chapter 15, verse 27 goes on to say, True Yahweh, she said, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. When she took her place under Israel's table, she received the blessing which overflowed from it. In other words, she got her blessing in the program, then in effect. This explains why our Lord was sent to none but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
that favored nation was in a sad spiritual condition. They sorely needed to repent, for they were in no condition to be a blessing to anyone. This same program and Israel's same need continued after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, Peter clearly sets forth the program of early Acts. Speaking to the nation Israel, he says, You are the descendants of the prophets and the heirs of the covenant that God made with your ancestors when he told Abraham through your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. God, raising up his servant, apostolized him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wickedness. While Christ's earthly ministry had been confined only to Israel, now the ministry begins to expand. But it is still Israel first. By comparing our Lord's post-resurrection orders, we see this clearly with Jesus' commands in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go to all the world, proclaim each of you the evangel to the whole creation. The whole wide, the worldwide revival that so many today erroneously seek will come when this passage is fulfilled. We see that, for instance, in Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 3, in Isaiah 11, verse 9, for just a couple of verses. But we must not overlook the fact that in our Lord's commission, there is a specifically designated order for carrying out this ministry. He states in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and repentance for the remission of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Luke further develops this order in Acts chapter 1. Let us start in verse 6. Then indeed, coming together, they questioned him, saying, Adonai, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Christ had spent some 40 days teaching his apostles things pertaining to the kingdom of God, according to verse 3. Clearly, their question about the restoration of the government and kingdom to Israel is a solemn testimony to what was on their mind. They did not ask about the beginning of the body of Christ. They did not seek information about a new program to begin shortly. They did not suggest prophecy was about to give way to the secret. On the contrary, they fully expected him to restore again the kingdom and the Davidic government to Israel. Notice the word again. It is important because it fixes the nature of the kingdom 
and the government that they expected. The only kingdom Israel ever had was a literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom. If the apostles somehow at this late date still misunderstood the nature of his kingdom, now was the time for Jesus Christ to set them straight. The fact that he does not challenge their understanding of his teaching is forceful evidence that the kingdom is indeed a literal, earthly one, not the spiritual body of Christ. He is speaking of a literal, physical kingdom to a literal, physical nation called Israel. These are not spiritual promises. What he focused on was their duty in his absence. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we read, And he said to them, It is not yours to know times or eras which the Father placed in his own authority, but you will receive power the Holy Spirit coming on you, and all of you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the lands. Notice the order. Jerusalem is first. Of course, for it is the city of the great king. Next comes Judea. That covers the area of the two southern tribes. Then Samaria, the area of the ten northern tribes. These, of course, cover the whole territory of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then, and only then, were they to go to the end of all the other lands. This is the prophetic order. Early Acts is the record of the carrying out of this prophetic plan through Israel. It has nothing to do with the forming of the body of Christ or the secret program later revealed through the Apostle Paul. While the apostles and their fellow brethren were tarrying in Jerusalem, they went about fulfilling the scriptures, complying with the instructions therein concerning the selection of a successor for Judas. Some have falsely accused Peter of mistakenly leading in the selection of Matthias, but this simply cannot be true. Three facts conclusively eliminate Paul from the ranks of the twelve. First, he did not qualify for the post. Acts chapter 1 verses 21 through 23 set forth the basic requirements as having accompanied with us all the time, beginning from John's baptism until the ascension in John chapter 15 verse 27. This, of course, was not true of Paul. Second, Paul did not work under the same commission as the twelve. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize. Considering Matthew 28, 19's, go ye baptizing, one of the twelve could never have said this. No one, in fact, working under Christ's post-resurrection instruction could say such a thing. Third, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 and 8, Paul clearly distinguishes himself from the twelve. He writes, And that he, Christ, was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Last of all, he was seen of me also. For those who regard the inspired word of God as the final authority, these verses settle the issue conclusively. The twelve were present to see the resurrection of Christ, and Paul was not one of them. It is a simple scripture fact that Paul's ministry is separate and distinct from that of the twelve apostles. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is generally accepted by most of Christendom as the reason for believing that the body of Christ began at that time. Again, however, Scripture teaches otherwise. In fact, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is one of the great proofs that the body of Christ did not begin in Acts 2. The fact is that the Apostle Peter, filled with the Spirit and speaking as the Spirit gave him utterance, declared the Spirit's coming to be the fulfillment of prophecy. In Acts 2.16, Peter explains what was happening by saying, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now compare this with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, where Paul writes, Since you surely hear the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, for by an unveiling the secret is made known to me, according as I write before in brief, so that while each of you read, you might be able to understand my knowledge of the secret of the Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now unveiled to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is a comparison everyone should learn to make. The distinction is between prophecy and secret. Joel knew about, prophesied about, and wrote about the coming of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit definitely knew what he was doing at Pentecost, and he inspired Peter to declare, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He was fulfilling prophecy, carrying out the next step in the long prophesied kingdom program. But Ephesians 3 is equally clear that Joel knew nothing about the body of Christ. He thus did not prophesy 
or write about it. Now, if A, Joel knew about, prophesied about, and wrote about what happened at Pentecost, and yet B, he did not know about, prophesy about, or write about the body of Christ, then C, the forming of the body of Christ could not have been what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. The same is true of the program following Pentecost. Acts 3.21 is clear that what was happening was that which was spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This is the opposite of the secret in time Zionian having been kept unvoiced in Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Passages such as Acts 3, 25 and 26, Acts 5, verses 31 through 32, and Acts 8, 1, demonstrate the program was still to Israel first. In fact, as late as Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we read that they were speaking the word to no one except to Jews only. It is sad to say the nation Israel rejected Christ first in his earthly ministry and then in his resurrection witness through the little flock under the leadership of the Twelve Apostles. Israel even persecuted those who preached Christ, and Saul of Tarsus became the leader of that persecution. It was in this crisis that God interrupted the prophetic program and saved Saul of Tarsus, making him Paul, the apostle, so that he might unfold his secret purpose of grace to him and through him to us, the body of Christ. Paul's epistles set forth his inspired claims for the distinct character of his apostleship and message. I'm going to give you some samples from Scripture. And yes, I'm going to read a few verses, but I want you to notice where I place the emphasis. Romans chapter 11, verse 13. But to you Gentiles, I say that since I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I am glorifying my service. Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. But I wrote to you more boldly, brothers, is reminding you in part, because of the favor given to me by God, that you, that I, should be a public minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, doing service with the evangel of God in order that the offering up of the Gentiles might prove to be acceptable, being consecrated in Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26 state, And to him who was able to establish you 
according to my evangel. In the proclaiming of Jesus Messiah, according to the unveiling of the secrets in times Eonian, having been kept unvoiced, but has now been brought to light. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. The evangel, which was announced by me, that is not a human origin, for I did not receive it and learn it from a human source. But through an unveiling of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Because of this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles, since you surely hear of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has been given to me for you. For by an unveiling, the secret is made known to me, according as I write before in brief. Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 and 26, of which I became a dispenser in agreement with the dispensation of God, which is granted to me for you to complete the word of God. The secret which has been hidden from the eons and from the generations, yet now has been revealed to his saints. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For there is but one God, and but one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony in its own eras, and of which I have been appointed a herald and an apostle. I am speaking the truth. It is not fiction. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Titus chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, and gives the expectation of Ionian life, which the truthful God promised so many eons ago. But now in his own eras, he, is, he has made his message evident through the proclaiming I was entrusted with to the command of God, our Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I conveyed to you as of first importance what also I received. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from Yahweh what I also passed on to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51, Behold, I show you a secret. These, and the list is actually much longer, are Paul's own words on this matter. Since he writes by inspiration, 
They are also God's word on the subject. Scriptures teach as a fact that Paul's apostleship and message are separate from that of the twelve before him. This means, of course, that we must go to Paul's writing to find what God has to say to us as members of the body of Christ. This is what the church in general has refused to accept. Confusing God's prophesied kingdom program with the secret committed to Paul for us in this present dispensation results in spiritual catastrophe. Just look around to see it on every hand. Who can honestly doubt that the confusion and division that so grips the church of our day relates to the warning in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or a messenger out of heaven should bring an evangel different from that which we have already brought you, let him be anathema. As we said before, so say I now again. If any proclaim any other evangel to you, then you have received, let him be anathema. You cannot avoid it. Failure to honor the distinct ministry and message of our Lord committed to Paul results in great loss. It certainly did for the church in Galatia. They had been drawn away from Paul and his grace message, causing him to write to them. He says in chapter 1, verse 6 of the book of Galatians, I marvel that you are so quickly transplaced from him who invited you into the grace of Christ to a different evangel. He writes in chapter 3, verse 1, O senseless Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose very eyes Jesus Christ was openly set forth as a crucified one. And he goes on to state in chapter 4, verse 15, Where then is your sense of happiness now? Departure from Paul's God-given message results in the loss of the joy and blessedness that standing in grace brings. Oh, my dear friend, dear brothers and sisters, the only path to true revival and spiritual health is through a renewed interest in what God has said specifically to us. It is not praying for revival, nor in fasting, confessing, or even making special sacrifices. Nope. The only path the only way that will lead us, whether the church in general or you and me individually, to true spiritual strength is to honor God's message for us today. This is the one great need of the church today.
Paul's words to Timothy are just as equally important today as they were to Timothy. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Hold fast a pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith, in love, in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He goes, he goes on to write in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the following. So, you, my child, be empowered in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard of me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful people, such as shall be competent to instruct others also. Notice the phrase, the things you have heard of me, me being the Apostle Paul. This is the attitude we are to have toward Paul's distinctive message and ministry. Hold on to it. Protect it, keep it, guard it, and most of all, pass it on to others. It is the message of Jesus Christ to the world today. May God use his word to speak to your hearts and make us faithful in his service. If any slight suffering comes our way, we will receive rich reward, grace upon grace. May we have open hearts to receive the truth and open mouths to proclaim it to others that through us, the preaching might be fully known and all nations might hear. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.